There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at Burrow.com slash ACAST. That's Burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Welcome to Billboard Soul Sisters podcast. I'm Jesse Katz coming at you from the cozy confines of the Chord Club on this wintry, snowy New York morning with my partner in crime, Dara Golub, to talk to today's guest, who is truly someone who warms our souls, uh, which is very important this morning, uh, especially when she sings. The New York Times called her the finest jazz singer to emerge in the last decade. No small praise. Uh, she's now nominated for a Grammy for her newest album, For One to Love. We are honored to have with us today the brilliant Cecile McLaurin Salvant. Welcome, Cecile. Thank you. How's it's it nice going? To be here. <laughs> um, I have a question for you. Well, I have many questions for you, <laughs> but um, just while I'm thinking it, thinking of it, for one to love is an interesting grammatical formation yeah. to me yeah. because it's not like for one I love. Yeah, it's it's a kind of hypothetical. Yes. feeling it's very hypothetical yes so that was the intention behind it <laughs> absolutely yeah absolutely feels like there's an ellipses before yeah i mean it's actually a line in the song in the last song of the album uh where i say i only sing for one to love uh and basically i mean that kind of i would say set the tone that song ended up setting the tone for the whole album and it's it's all about uh love and yearning and kind of being on this this um this side of love where you're like waiting for someone to love you but it it's not happening mm. i mean it's very autobiographical i would say <laughs> <laughs> yeah which i think i've heard you say a lot of your stuff is at least yeah. emotionally autobiographical yeah. yeah um especially this album i think my previous album was I was just more testing things out, experimenting and kind of posing questions about maybe race and, and things like that. But this one, um, it definitely became clear that each song on the album was was really something that I connected really strongly with and that I felt uh, I had lived through, even the ones that I didn't write, even the songs I didn't write. Mm -hmm. I think I heard you say in the behind the scenes video for the album that often when you are singing about declarations of love those are real declarations that you would have made to someone in real life but you felt like it would have a safer outcome putting it in a song than actually saying it to that person yeah absolutely <laughs> so like it's for real people yeah but um 
but that made me worried about you. <laughs> Maybe you should okay. take a leap and say those things sometimes. <laughs> I hope they don't only go in your songs. <laughs> no, they don't only go in my songs, okay. but some of them, uh, some of these declarations of love would have been no-nos. So it's just better <laughs> That's for fair. All sometimes it's good to know. It's, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah, it, this is such a lame comparison, but it, in that Nancy Myers movie, Something's Gotta Give, with oh, Diane Keene yeah. and Jack Nicholson, oh. he says to her, you're a woman to yeah. love. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. it's like the biggest fuck you to her. It makes yeah. her so angry because right. it's like, yeah, why am I not a woman that you love? Yeah, that too is is interesting. Yeah. Well, uh, the, a whole range of the the American songbook, which is a big part of what you're pulling from, that's just the theme yeah. For one to love, looking yeah. for one to love, yeah. pining over one to love. So it sort of has that all-encompassing feeling. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's funny because I had, f- for a while, I mean, especially with the album before it, I would say I was like kind of skirting the issue. And like I wouldn't, I didn't want to really sing that many love songs. I wanted to sing songs that I found funny or songs about, you know, different different aspects of life, about death. And I mean, it just became clear with this one that I was just like, okay, I have so much, I have like a lot on my chest. I need to just kind of get out. Yeah. Can I ask you how you selected the trolley song? Because I'm obsessed with Meet Me in St. Louis. And I'm always thinking about a way that we could like remake that movie, even though I hate remakes in general. But I just feel like people don't care about that movie anymore or know about that show or anything. But the music's so amazing. Oh, it's great. Well, I think I got to it two ways. I I had always loved Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas and I thought you know I thought Which it was, was written a, for that movie. For that movie. And there actually were uh more depressing lyrics than there are in the movie that they ended up cutting and changing for the movie. Mm-hmm. And then they made them even happier afterwards. But like the original lyrics are like Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas, it may be your last Next year, we may all be living in the past. Yes. Wow. Yes. (laughs) And I heard that Judy Garland is the one who said this should be happier. A little bit lighter. Yeah. (laughs) But it makes sense in the story that it's a sad, it's a really sad moment. It really is. Yeah. Anyway, we don't need to geek out too hard over that movie. But, (laughs) but, uh, so basically I, uh, I knew of the movie, but I hadn't really seen it. And then I checked it out because I was on this Judy Garland kick and I just was watching everything that was on YouTube of her. And that scene, that trolley song scene, just like visually, just visually is incredible. The colors are incredible. They just like burst out into the screen because it's it's technicolor and the costumes are incredible and her acting is is amazing and it's just like so riveting. And I remember just watching that scene over and over and over again. And of course, I'm not even talking about the music. I thought it was so great, but also kind of kitschy and and fun and sweet and a little cheesy. And and I would just watch it like three, four times a day for months. And I said, well, maybe that means I should sing it. (laughs) (laughs) When you you discover something that speaks to you, is it instant? Do you say to yourself, oh, this song, and then you just start singing it to yourself? Or... Does it take a while for you to say this? Clearly, I should, you know, look into this more. And then you have to make a conscious decision. Or is it just you're you're around your apartment, you're just and you find yourself humming and singing? I think um, I think it really comes from listening to something a lot. 
And after a while, after I realize I've listened to the song maybe a hundred times, then I start singing it like in my head or around my apartment. But it definitely comes from from listening first um, and from just being purely obsessed and enthralled with the song. And then I'm like, oh, wait, this actually like I could actually sing it in the show. Like I forget. I think as a listener, I just forget that I'm a musician. So I just enjoy it as anybody would enjoy it. And then I'm like, oh, snap. Like, I actually have a band that I could <laughs> give this to and actually sing it in front of an audience. It's so, not constantly in your mind, no. in the back of your mind. That's interesting. No, I actually, I, I would say it's weird, but I oftentimes, like in my day-to-day life, I, I'm not so aware that I'm a singer all the time. Like I, I know musicians and, and singers who are aware of it and who who feel it in their bones and in their body. But for me, it's just like I'm a listener. I'm, I'm I enjoy music, and then I'm like, oh wait, <laughs> maybe I could I could use this. That's nice though. So it probably doesn't it. always feel like a job. No, it doesn't feel which like could a job. be yeah. This is the dream, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. I mean, of course, there's some elements. I mean, sometimes I have to be like, oh well, I actually have to work on things right. you know <laughs> like if i'm a good person yeah. then i'm gonna have to work on something but uh but sometimes turning those things that you love like music into your job can then take away a little bit from your ability to just purely enjoy it so it's nice that you're able to separate them yeah but, yeah absolutely yeah that's a great point and you've been a singer pretty much all your life would you say i mean when did you begin really singing seriously seriously uh I don't know. I mean, I, as a child, I would sing around the house a lot because my mom loves music, loves all kinds of music. And she'd be like, oh, sing me this song and sing me this one. So from a really young age, from before I can remember, I was singing around the house and singing for my parents' friends when they'd come over to dinner and things like that. And then I was in a choir when I was about seven or eight. And around the age of 13, 14, I got interested in classical voice. And I thought it was so brilliant and so incredible that someone can push their voice to that extreme. It's like ballet, but for the voice, like you're just pushing it. And so, so I started getting interested in that and studying that. But I would say, seriously, considering it like a profession, like something I could possibly do. I think I came to that realization when I was around 18 to 20, then I was like, oh, well, I do like to sing, but maybe I could do this as a job. And and it, I hesitated a long time because it just seemed so absurd to me, first of all. And also, it's just like such a lonely life. The life of an artist, I think, is, is really lonely because you're, first of all, you have to be really disciplined and you have to just push yourself like nobody is nobody's going to be like you have a deadline for this you have to just better yourself and learn about music and constantly be a student with no teacher and so I I was really I was really nervous about it but eventually I decided that you know around maybe 20 I just said 2021 so just to put this in perspective of how much you've accomplished and not that much time you are 26 now yes right so this is only six years ago when you got really serious. Uh, I mean, <laughs> I mean, I just want everyone to like marinate with that for a second because oh, listening gosh. to your work, I bet it happens a lot that people assume you're much older than you are. Yes, 
But that's always been the case yeah. beyond beyond singing. Really? Yeah. When I was like 13. Just precocious. <laughs> Gosh. people. Yeah. People thought I was 30 when I was 13 and I'd have like two kids. I'd be like watching two kids, five-year-old kids. I'd be like, your kids are beautiful. I'd be like, oh, thanks. They are. But I was 13. Wow. So it wasn't the sort of power and uh, exquisiteness of your voice that at 13, 14, 15, and you're starting to study that made you say, oh, this is really something that thrills me. It, it sort of took a while for you to grow into that feeling that I have this gift. I have something very special that I need to do something with. I think it took a while. Uh, it's still really weird to hear that statement about my voice. <laughs> I d- totally don't think of it in that way, but I enjoyed singing. I enjoyed being able to do different things with my voice. I I loved it, but I loved it on a personal level. And I think there's like a huge difference between that and then like sharing it with people. Like that's such a huge leap for me. Um, but I suppose in the back of my mind, I thought maybe it would be nice to be an opera singer. Maybe it would be nice to be on stage and be in costume and in character and sing these arias for these audiences but um def- certainly not jazz and i think i also had so many other things that i was interested in that seemed equally far-fetched that it was just a part of the thing like i wanted to be a playwright i wanted to be a poet and i wanted to be a director i wanted to be an actor a sculptor i mean it was just like a lot of different stuff and you may very all well be all things those things are <laughs> happening already it's yeah, yeah too. <laughs> you are a painter right uh, I paint. You paint. You paint. <laughs> so, and do you ever have like a, a feeling or kind of a story, and, and you don't know if it should come out as a painting or a song? How do you funnel that? It's a lot easier for me to draw and paint than it is for me to write a song. Yeah, um, I do it constantly. It's nonstop, uh-huh. and I and I feel like I have ideas all the time for paintings and drawings and little characters and scenes. I, I have. It's like a continuous flow. And I think it's also because it's not, I have less pressure. Right. I almost approach it like a child and it's just like instinctive. Mm-hmm. And I wish that I had that instinctive childlike quality in writing songs because I feel like it would be, it would just be a lot easier. Um, and sometimes I try to channel that in in song and in music, but Certainly the the fact that I am not a professional painter and that I do it for fun and that sometimes I'll show, you know, I'll show my paintings or, I mean, you know, post them online or put them on some CD artwork. Like that's such low pressure that I can just continue being a child with it. Whereas now singing has become a little bit more. I mean, I would imagine if the opposite were true, if somehow I were professionally a painter and then just sang at home and wrote songs at home, I would just be like nonstop writing songs. Right. Yeah. And then the painting would come a little It'd bit be like, ah, harder. so yeah. that's that's my cross to <laughs> <laughs> So man, I, I wanna figure out like are you an old soul or were your parents just playing a lot of older music for you, a lot of musicals and early twentieth century stuff? Or how, where did this come from? Um, they weren't particularly playing earlier early 20th century music. Uh, but my mother has an extremely eclectic taste in music. Uh, probably the most eclectic taste I've ever seen in a person. She will listen to 
any and everything from any era with no preference other than like does she like it so from day to day we would have maybe marvin Gaye, we would have cesaria evora we would have like appalachian music we would have folk music from paraguay we would have all kinds of music and she she traveled the world as a young child she was born in tunisia then she lived throughout different countries in africa she lived in the caribbean she lived in south america so all of that music is also part of the soundscape so it's just always just world music in in like the true sense of the word Mm. and folk music from all over the world so so i think that openness led me to be more open in my music choices and not just leave it to like oh well this is what my friends listen to then let me check this out and and very early I, since i was so interested in history I'm, I'm i'm really interested in the history of things if i listen to a musician then i want to hear who their influences are and i want to hear who those people's influences are and I, I like going up those kinds of family trees i would say and very very quickly after studying classical voice in France, I became more and more interested in Baroque music and early music. So it's almost like I even did that exploration in classical, in the classical world, where I I started off singing like this 19th century music and then ended up going back to the 16th and 17th centuries and, and exploring that music and, and finding the beauty in that. And, and there's something there's something about a music that's in development that is still a little bit raw. There's something about these instruments, the early instruments that that are less loud and that have this warm tone and that haven't been developed to be to perform and be as voluminous as, you know, instruments from the 19th century. Something about that that makes me um happy to just be around. And so I did that with jazz. I started off singing, listening to, of course, the main singers, Sarah Vaughn, Ella, Billie Holiday, but then listening to their earlier material and then listening to people before them and then even getting interested in what happened before jazz and, and vaudeville and minstrel shows, blackface, slave songs, and that whole complicated history. Um, I recently started getting interested in some a, a genre called coon songs, which are extremely racist songs from the late nineteenth, uh, early twentieth um, century. Some of which, in fact, are borrowed from slave songs, which is crazy that you could take a song sung by slaves and then twist it to the point that it becomes this completely racist and absurd song. But some of these songs are so hilarious and and crazy and like scary Uh, are you listening to them thinking you're gonna start covering some of those songs because i know this is a thing you do for example you find a super sexist song and then you decide to put your spin on it um it's just really delicate people are really sensitive (laughs) so i don't know if i could ever do it Mm -hmm. um (laughs) out in the public yeah but maybe one day if I have enough, uh, um, I'm not allowed to say this word on. Yeah, you can say anything. If I have, if I have the balls, maybe. Definitely. But don't say that at the Grammys, maybe. But you can say it. <laughs> yeah. But and I, I don't know. There's something about about the fact that it makes people uncomfortable. Like I was listening to this song that is, um, 
it used to be a slave song. It's called Run Nigger Run. I listened to it um, recently. It's by a, by a version by a band called The Skillet Lickers, which I don't think that their intentions were really very honorable in singing that song. But I found out that it was, in fact, a slave song that they would sing amongst themselves. Like, actually, you should run yeah, because you're in danger. <laughs> so hurry up. And I was listening to it with a friend and he was just like, oh, this is making me so uncomfortable. I don't want to hear this. And I like that. There's yeah. something about that that I like. So um, we'll see. We shall see. Yeah. I mean, what is that for you that you enjoy? Is it like by putting these things back out there, then it's inviting us all to think about it and explore it, you know? Yeah, I think I I think that it's it's really important to... Uh, of course, honor our history and how beautiful and amazing it is, but also to like really emphasize some nastiness that we have had in the past because it definitely shows up today. It's not like, you know, we're a kumbaya country for (laughs) sure. And I think, I think it's important to, to really vividly feel that feeling of, of, of not being comfortable because when we are so politically correct, then we end up closing our eyes to certain things and saying, no, it's not us. I'm not racist. It's, it's, you know, the other extremists. And yeah, I have black friends. Yeah. I have, I have a black, I have gay friends. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just like, let's, I think it's important to, to still vividly feel that. Um, and, and, and in fact, maybe to even laugh at it too, mm-hmm. you know, to say, wow, I can't believe that, that this was on the radio, if it, if it did go on the radio, or that people actually would play this record and dance to it, even though, I, I mean, it's got a nice, it's got a nice little beat to it. I mean, right. I'm not right. going to lie. <laughs> well, so, I mean, so the same can largely be said for Wives and Lovers, which is on your album yeah which is an insane song when you really listen to the lyrics which i never had until you covered it (laughs) like i know that song i know that melody yeah but i never really thought about it before yeah it's it's not the worst song too though it's like it's and i i've i've received some emails like from people telling me you know i'm so sad like i'm so disappointed that you sang that song because like from women like because it's just it represents such a dark time and it's so traumatic for me to hear that sign. I'm like, Oh wow. I didn't even know that like women would be uncomfortable about it. You didn't it. anticipate that kind no. of mm-hmm. like from feminists, right. you know, because you you're of, doing it in complete irony. Yeah. But, um, and of course I have, I've, I've definitely seen people be like, Oh, I can, you know, she's a feminist, you know, talking, talking sure about yeah, the fact <laughs> that that I'm a feminist and you know women you know want to be better than men blah 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 so like I was expecting that reaction of just like anti-feminist talk mm-hmm. and mostly men being a little bit um feeling a little bit threatened by it or whatever it may be or just annoyed that I knew was going to happen but the opposite like hearing from women being like no I can't believe you're singing this was that was a little came a little bit of a a shock to me do you remember some of the specific lyrics in case of wives and lovers yeah in case people hey little girl comb your hair fix your makeup soon he will open the door don't think because there's a ring on your finger you needn't try anymore for wives should always be lovers too. run to his arms the moment he comes home to you i'm warning you day after day 
there are girls at the office, and men will always be men. Don't send him off with your hair still in curlers. You may not see him again. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it reminds me so much of how to succeed in business. It's happy to keep his dinner warm. Yeah. You know? Oh my God. <laughs> I mean, which is a lovely song. <laughs> I love, you know, it's so fun to sing. It's yeah. so fun to listen to. It's, and that's the problem. Yeah. Well, not the problem, but something that you're yeah. not afraid of. Right. Yeah. I, you know, but I, I think, listen, I'm not mad at it. Like, well, I'm a little bit mad at it, but <laughs> it's also like, I listen, I understand. If I came home at night and I had somebody, Looking good <laughs> with some some hot food on the stove, some wine. Like I, I wouldn't be mad. I'd be pretty. I'd be a happy camper. Right. We just need to start writing songs like that about men to remind <laughs> them that we expect the same exactly. equality. <laughs> That's the point, right? Yeah. So was it the partially the fact that there are these stories to tell through this kind of music versus what? what you're able to do within a classical context that sort of was part of what drew you away from classical and into jazz? I think, um, I don't think that's what happened. I think what happened was I just started having gigs in jazz. Like it was just as simple as that. And I was still very much a student in classical voice and uh, struggling and, and, and it was hard, but I loved it. It was very challenging. But I very quickly, within a year, a few months, I started having my first gigs, started singing festivals, things like that. Tell us about that then. So you're in school in Paris? In Aix-en-Provence. Okay. Which is southeast of France. Lovely. (laughs) So you were in school there for classical music or was it, or for jazz or what was the... For both. I I auditioned for both programs. Originally, I just wanted to do classical, but I there was a jazz teacher there, and I figured, oh, maybe I'll try this. My mom was with me. She was like, you should do it as a hobby. It'll be fun. <laughs> and so I met the teacher there. His name is Jean-Francois Bonnel. He's a saxophone player, a clarinet player. And I sang for him, and I thought, oh, whatever. And I thought he hated me because he's very shy. He doesn't talk. And so I was like, I, I'll just do classical voice. I don't care. And then I saw him in the street, and he was like, you're coming to the jazz audition, right? And I was like, I don't think so. I have a lot on my plate. I'm studying (laughs) political science. I'm studying law. I have classical voice. I'm good on it. He was like, no, you need to come. You need to come. And so I did. 
and the people at the audition were like they seemed so much cooler than like the classical <laughs> people they're just like guy there's a guy with dreads or like these cute guys they're, like cool people and i was like all right let me let me explore this. <laughs> and then I ended up falling in love with it. So, so you hadn't was, been listening obsessively yet. You hadn't really explored it yourself. I had listened to jazz. I mean, okay. from a young age, because of my mom, she listened to a lot of jazz. And I was into like Thelonious Monk, but I wasn't passionate about it. And so, or maybe I, I loved it as a listener. Again, like going back to that idea, like I loved it as a listener, but I never really thought that I would do it, like sing it. And I didn't know that I had that even had a place in there. So, so once once that started happening, and I started singing with bands. I mean, that I, I think also was so great is that in classical singing, usually you it takes a while before you sing with a band or an orchestra, you know. And in jazz, it's immediate. And I loved that idea of communicating with people and on the bandstand and having this dialogue with musicians um, that you just simply don't have when you're singing classic, when you're studying classical voice, because you're just with your teacher and maybe the pianist who accompanies. And so, so that was a definite difference. And also just the gigs. I, I was just getting gigs pretty quickly. So can you explain to a lay person such as myself what the biggest difference is in terms of what you're doing with your voice when you jump from studying classical to jazz? Like, what was the biggest thing you had to adjust there? I think uh, classical voice requires, first of all, there is no microphone. So you have to project. And there are all kinds of techniques to learn how to project, but not scream. Because nobody wants, I mean, that's another genre. <laughs> yeah. <right. laughs> so you're working with, your breathing is very important. The placement of your voice in what they call the mask, which is right under, right under your eyes. You have to feel somehow that your voice is right here in the nose and under your eyes. You have to um, correct your voice when it gets too low, if it's it can't be like husky, you have to correct it so that it has still some highs. When in classical. Voice, in classical. Yeah. When you go high, your voice has to have this bottom to it and this 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 weight to it in the highs as well. You cannot have a a moment where there's air coming through. Or you can, but it it still has to project. Uh, so it's all kinds of different things. And then you're, you're working with vibrato. Um, it's just a lot. Jazz, on the other hand, there is no set technique. There have been singers who have had terrible voices, but who somehow sounded great in jazz. Because like an think, example of that. Well, now I feel bad because I said terrible. But <laughs> no, but you don't mean I don't mean that terrible. It's a bad I mean, voice. Like, it's just... I mean, just like not pretty voices. Somebody like Babs Gonzalez is a great example, or even somebody like Louis Armstrong. I mean, right. he he. Ha- I think he has one of the most beautiful voices in the world, but it's not perfect, and it's not everywhere the same. Right. And or even Billie Holiday, right? Billie Can Holiday, same? of course, yeah. absolutely. No. I wouldn't say. You wouldn't say? I don't know. I don't think so. No. I, I think, mean, well, it, I mean, it's pretty. We're talking conventional. We're talking conventional beauty. Like, compare Ella to Billy. Ella's such a clear, it's The technique is, it's, it's pure. Yeah. 
But I still, I mean, Billy's probably I mean, one of my favorites. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, this is just to say these people, and maybe I'm, you know, maybe I'm judging, but I don't think that somebody like Babs Gonzalez or Louis Armstrong or Billie Holiday could have been classical singers. Mm-hmm. However, um, since we're coming from this folk tradition, I think jazz is coming from this folk tradition. I think a big element of folk is that you don't have to have an incredible instrument. You don't have to be a virtuoso in, at your instrument to have something to say and to have something be meaningful. So I think since jazz is coming from that, um, you can get away with a lot more. And and of course, you're singing with a microphone. So you can not, you don't have to project all the time. You can sing with a whisper. Somebody like Betty, like Peggy, Peggy Lee used to sing with a whisper, whisper mm-hmm. voice, and it sounded great. Um, and of course, I mean, the history of singing is, it, it gets complicated because then there, you do have crooners who did have this like really thick and loud and projected voice. You do have a history of people like really belting it tons out. Tons of from vibrato. The, yeah, tons of vibrato. Of, right. But you have options. There is not one set voice. And I think that's what I loved so much about it. And I love the idea that I could change my voice and maybe do have a moment where I'm like crooning, but also maybe have a moment that's like really blues and maybe have like this husky moment and my voice can break and it doesn't matter. And I can sing really soft and people will still hear me. It doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think the the main source of work in jazz for me was all these choices now that became apparent like there's so many choices now and you can't just pack everything in into one song because then it sounds tacky and like you're completely like dispersed so you have to be very deliberate in what you do and then also a huge part of of the the work in jazz was developing my ear developing my sense of rhythm developing like harmony and understanding how to improvise those are not necessarily things you learn in classical voice but those have nothing to do with the technique of the instrument and everything to do with just how your mind works and how your ear works were broadway songs traditionally written for classical voices i think that's a great question i think some of them were I think, of course, Broadway songs were written, maybe not f- classical voices per se, but, but just like of how operetta, you need to project and- like operetta, like mm-hmm. light classical, I would say, okay. light classical voices. So like it's not Wagnerian voices singing Broadway songs, right. but you do have to project. You do have to have like this nice technique, maybe a nice vibrato. I think that was the original intent. And um, somebody like... My favorite Broadway voices are are people who actually don't have that. Somebody like Elaine Stritch is somebody that I love because she she just had a vibe. Oh my god! Yeah, you know, wow. The have you seen that making of Company, the Da Pennebaker? Oh my gosh, the video where she's singing. uh, Here's to the ladies who lunch. Yeah, ladies who lunch. And it's like in the middle of the night and they have to get it down before the morning. And she's going again and again because she's not happy and Sondheim isn't happy. And she's nearly banging her head against the wall. She's so angry with herself. But then you see her nail it. Yeah. And it's like the most euphoric moment. Oh, my gosh. I was so stressed out watching that video. Oh, my God. Yeah. I would not want to be in the studio. And they'd be like, I think they told her, like, you're you're not singing. You're yelling. You need to sing. Like, and she's just like like about to to cry. 
But Sondheim just silently, you know, shaking his head like, you're not getting it. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. High pressure, yeah. Yeah. Um, Well, so then how was jazz school in terms of that? So you... Did did you sort of stop classical the classical track and focus more on jazz? And then how was how were those classes where because you are needing now to focus on your voice, the mm. instrument, and also on your ear mm. and your understanding of rhythm and all of these complex, the harmonies and mm-hmm. um, so w- was were the, what was the challenging aspect for you? What, what did you really struggle with or really say this is this is hard and I really need to work at this um I did both at the same time and my teachers would be like well you should choose and I and I just persisted at doing both for as long as I was in France so basically four and a half years um while at the same time studying political science and law and so were you thinking I might end up being a lawyer or a musician we'll see which one pans out first or no I just started the first year of bachelor's in law and I passed and for some reason I didn't want to stop for like I don't know if it's like a pride reason or if it was like I I still want to exercise that part of my brain like I've always enjoyed school I've always enjoyed history and and like being in school so I think I just wanted to continue that so I did so you had a full plate I had a really full <laughs> plate but um I think I think the thing with jazz that was really difficult for me and that I think is still difficult for me was just understanding harmony mm-hmm. and um and, and really getting into that and and being able to improvise and um that was that was what I needed to spend the most time on and I think also my teacher very quickly found out that I had studied classical piano from a young age and so he uh pushed me onto the piano and after a year was like you need to be playing the piano and singing and and learning at the piano so that was also extremely challenging for me did you have much theory growing up from classical piano or did that come later with jazz I didn't have much theory I think it it definitely came later Um, my classical piano teacher basically just taught me the songs and I would read of course but I never. I don't recall ever having like a theor- music theory yeah, class. It's so until interesting. Later. I, f- I find that to be a common thing in like learning classical piano, yeah. classical music when you're young, and that it the, there's not an emphasis on that, even yeah. though it's just as. I mean, it's so important. I don't know if it's just as relevant. I don't know if well, you know, because you're sort of just playing, yeah. as opposed to improvising, yeah. and so that's a big difference. But it's interesting that you can be a virtuoso. Pianists, you know, take, I took for, you know, 15 years. Piano? And, yeah, piano. Wow. And, I mean, I don't ask me to play anything now. But, <laughs> Same. I, I, you know, I got to jazz school and, and theory was like a new idea. Yeah. And it's crazy. It's a lot. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it is. That, that is something. I think that's a problem. I think, I mean, not to dog my piano teacher. I love her. Great. <laughs> but, I do think that there there needs to be some kind of understanding of theory when you're playing even classical pieces, just so you know what's going on. Just simple chord, you know, this yeah. chord is related to this. And, yeah, and exactly. Where it all sits in a context. Um, yeah. So how was it then? Because I think in, in my experience and I, um, I was at the new school and even then among my, my peers, we began a sort of 
this idea of like gender and jazz became a thing because mm. it's there's almost a separation between singers, especially female singers, and it's almost like there's singers and then there's the musicians. Yeah. The instrumentalists. And I think that comes from being the singers are women and the instrumentalists right, are men. Right. Yeah. And that almost there needs you know, singers get a bad rap for whatever reason is if it's not being as technically you know, proficient in a way or yeah. just not having the confidence. Yeah. Um, were there any male singers in your class? There were. Okay. There were a couple. Um, when but, did you go to the new school? Uh, around 2006, seven. That's crazy. I went in 2011. Oh, no way. What? Yeah. After. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I went after the one competition because I just wanted to go to a I wanted to have a college experience and I wanted to be in New York. So I was just like, let's just go to the new school. That's how long were you there? One semester. Okay. Did you like it? I did. (laughs) I did. Did you like it? I did. I think that's the response (laughs) that everyone has. I did. You know, it was, it was great. And the people are great. And yeah, Dara's making a documentary now about what happens to people when they graduate the new school for jazz. Oh, wow. She spent a lot of time thinking about this. Right. (laughs) Wow, wow, wow. Right. I started in 2006, and now we'll see where people are at this point. Oh, great. Um, And you went for piano. I went for voice. For voice? Yeah. That's crazy. (laughs) How how do you not not open with this? Well, because I'm not a jazz singer. (laughs) And? And so? And? No. Yeah, okay. You so because she's too modest. Yeah. No. What the heck? <laughs> this is good. This is her coming out podcast. <laughs> crazy. Now she can lead with this going well, forward. It's interesting because the number of people who went on from jazz school, from the from my experience in the new school, to play jazz. Yeah. There's there is a handful. There's I mean there's a lot. Yeah. But um, I and most of my friends did other things with music. Wow. Yeah. So you're a jazz singer? No, I'm not. But you studied it. But you studied it. But I did study it, yes. And I found it very, it was was a challenge, especially the improvising and training my ear. And I had a really, you know, it was not easy. It was rough. And and I think that the dynamic between instrumentalists and singers can be especially rough. And so, yeah. I don't know. It sounds like you pretty seamlessly. I mean, I don't know how actually seamlessly, but it sounds like you were able to get into a groove with musicians and get gigs and sort of get that ball rolling fairly easily when you started. But I know that 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 process of finding musicians that click with you, that that are respectful of you, patient with you. Yeah. And, you know, and then then that you actually really have creative you know flow in common with yeah that's that's huge yeah I think I was very lucky and I think also I started off um my teacher in France was an instrumentalist so I started off with I I never had a voice teacher who was like a singer I had that instrumentalist and then I had my classical voice teacher and so I very quickly was exposed to like the just rigor of like oh you you know you're an it's almost like you're an instrumentalist and um he didn't treat me any differently and the and the musicians around didn't treat me any differently um but yeah I would say yeah I would say I was pretty lucky but also because I had that background of like working with an instrumentalist I just picked up on certain things and like certain I guess certain behaviors that maybe you wouldn't get with a 
teacher who's a singer. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. I've never had a teacher who's a singer, and I don't know how that works out. I, I was always very afraid of it because I thought I would imitate the teacher too much, like that I would end up sounding like whoever it was, whoever sure. singer is teaching me. Sure. But I think also even just having a background in playing piano, even if you weren't a student of theory growing up, you still have an understanding of the basic. You know? Yeah. I mean, a lot of singers come into, at least in my experience, they come into uh, jazz school yeah. not playing it. A lick, yeah, and that's really hard because then you don't even have a concept of the keyboard and, yeah. of, you know, the basic scales. And without yeah. that, it's very hard to start wanting to improvise. Yes, it is. Um, I think you know. I think it's interesting when I do speak to singers, um, like younger singers or people in school, and they ask me for advice. I'm always like, you need to get to the piano, to as, the piano. as quickly as mm-hmm. you can because. So when you say theory, you basically mean piano. Uh, no, music theory could, I mean, it's not, that's generally what, how it's learned. Well, the, I think the it's piano so is the, the, yeah, it's, it's such a visual instrument and it's, and it's there in the schools. It's, it's kind of like the easiest thing for somebody, a beginner to just, you know, get some chords together. Like a guitar is weird. Right. Like I, I, I mean, every instrumentalist can, I think does at some point play piano in school because it is everyone can yeah you can just figure out like it just it just continues from top to from bottom to top top to bottom that makes sense to me I mean I studied piano as a kid and so I can still mess around and I understand it I feel I play a little bit of guitar but I have no idea how it's actually working like I learn the chords or whatever but I don't really get it I can't see it in my head it's a whole nother thing yeah so I think I think for us and for a singer well, yeah, guitar is great because you can sing and play, but piano is great also because you can sing and play. So I always try to tell people, like, try to get to an instrument just because, of course, you'll get a, I feel like you get a better understanding of music if you have something other than your primary instrument to work with. Uh, I think that's the case for anything that you do. It's important to look at it from another angle and, you know, try to try to work at it from somewhere else. But I think also in terms of, yeah, in terms of like the respect of other instrumentalists, if they know that you actually checked out the song at the piano and like that, you know, that you have some kind of basic knowledge and it can be really basic. Mm -hmm. I think I think it helps out a lot. But it's interesting because it wasn't always the case. And um, you look at somebody like Billie Holiday. I don't think Billie Holiday played the piano. And she didn't scat, and she was respected immensely. Now she was a genius, so not everybody's a genius, you know. <laughs> so she had she she got she got her props because she's a genius. But I do feel like there was in the past some kind of like in a way singers were um, a lot less was expected of singers, but also in another way they were so the singers themselves were so incredibly amazing and gifted that it's just like it's a give and take you know like and I wonder if they expected or needed less for themselves I mean now yeah a woman comes into a band and is a band leader and wants to be treated as such yeah and not just as the singer and and yeah to be told what to do but really have a sense of control and that seems like it came easily for you to, to lead a band in that oh, way no. or is oh, that no, hard? No, and it's still very hard. I don't like to lead a band. I hate it. Um, 
I look at at people who had MDs. You know, I was talking to. I actually had the fortune of seeing and speaking with Nancy Wilson at her home uh, last year. Wow. And she had musical directors and she had people who would show her songs like, oh, do you want to sing this song? This is a good song. And I like, right, I wish, I wish that, that could be my life. Like, do you? I don't want to lead a band. I don't want to lead people. I don't want to make decisions. And yet I know that somehow deep down I do, but <laughs> <laughs> it would be nice. Part of you feels like it would be part nice if it, you could just. Oh gosh. And I hear like some rehearsals with Billie Holiday and pianists being like oh you should check this song out do you like this song i'm like oh can somebody comment like you know but but is that not somebody you can hire or is, is that not a practice as or is much it just anymore? not respect i mean you, you wouldn't feel good about it yeah if you want it what's the well i want it and then but then i'm i'm a control freak too yeah okay. so i i have this little t- internal turmoil that i have to deal with yeah. but certainly leading the band is rough for me beyond just making decisions of like what the repertoire is going to be arranging leading the band you know deciding like this is this is when the rehearsal is going to end this is what we're going to do this is what we're like that has always been really difficult for me and I am very lucky to be singing with the band that I'm singing with and more specifically to have uh, Aaron Deal who is the piano player in my band to kind of lead us <laughs> uh just organize things for us um even though he does it in a way like i still feel like i have a lot of control and he's always asking me like you know what do you want to do what what do you think of this idea like do you want to do this do you want me to arrange this song and so it, it's it's kind of a great partnership and then the other two musicians in the band the bass player paul sakivi and the drummer lawrence leathers we're all so close that it's become almost just like a family a little bit. Mm-hmm. So there's less of a need to be like super firm. I mean, sometimes there's a need to be firm, but I don't know. How long have you been playing together? About th- three or four years. Oh, wow. Three or four years. And did yeah. you get connected with them or did you find them yourself? Um, I met my manager at the monk competition and I had a show in New York or in Washington and I needed to assemble an American band. And I didn't know any American musicians really other than like the super famous ones. And so I, um, I asked my manager to send me a list of pianists because I feel like since I, I just feel like I can assess the piano the best out of all the instruments. Like I can assess if I like a pianist and it definitely sets a tone for, for the show. So I, I had this list and I checked out everyone on YouTube and I found Aaron deal on the list and I thought he was so amazing. And he was playing this Fats Waller tune, which I was just like, Oh, that's great. He's playing Fats Waller, but it was like still very personal and very modern. And I was just really moved. So um, I connected with him on Skype and then he assembled the band because it was a band that he had been playing with for years. Mm-hmm. So I guess that's that's kind of how yeah. it happened. Can I ask how you go about your insane lyric interpretation? Because oh, wow. mm-hmm. like when I listened to you singing the Stepsisters Lament from Rodgers and Hammerstein Cinderella, um, every word that you're singing se- seems to come from some very intentional understanding you have of why that word was chosen by them. 
Thank you. And is phrased around whatever that word or that phrase or that feeling is. And it, and it's something you do in a lot of your work where you're rarely sounding the same throughout an entire song. It's mm-hmm. all you, but you can almost hear or see the thinking behind it. Thank you. So to me, I'm like, well, if I was attempting that, I would have to sit down and like make a note next to every word and like create the story behind the word and then somehow come up with the sound to go with that feeling. But what's your actual process? It's thankfully not that. Yeah. <laughs> would not Which is why you are who you are and I'm here just asking the questions. No, I, that would be a little intense. Um, I do think about the lyrics a lot. I think about the story a lot. I think about the sounds of words uh, a lot. Over the years, I've I've sung certain words a lot. I mean, more than others, of course. You know, like can I, you think of well, love? <laughs> you know, and and like all the different ways you can say that word, yeah. um, and all the different meanings that that word has, and how you can try and attempt to make the sound sound like the feeling of the word that's something that i've that i've always tried to deal with and and been really curious about um when somebody we're going back to of course billy holiday but somebody like billy holiday sings the word love it actually to me i don't know about you but it feels like love mm. and if she's talking about a painful kind of love or she's talking about um uh, disappointed you know being disappointed because of love and she says that word you feel that feeling i mean you don't even have to speak the language i feel like and you still feel it and that's something that i've always been very curious about and trying to trying to deal with and singing for myself um there's a great also louis armstrong does that with like the word memory like you really feel like mm-hmm. I, I don't know it's it, it gets deep when you think about it really but how how do you make yeah how do you make that feeling exist from the sound of it um and so so i would say that that's something that i think about quite often and and when i approach a song i am really really focusing and honing in on the lyrics and the story and also just it's really great fun because I don't know just the different sounds of the american language or sometimes i sing in french all those different sounds are just so interesting to me and so i can kind of get lost in 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 how the language sounds and how all the different ways you can pronounce a word all the different ways you can sound out a word and all the different meanings you can squeeze out of it Mm-hmm. Um, do you feel like you're a sponge when you're out in the world listening to the way that other people speak? Because like I can hear you sometimes, you, you know, singing a line that's exactly in the voice of that person who would be saying that thing. And then you'll switch and you'll say it in a completely different kind of voice. I would say I absolutely am yeah. uh, influenced by the way people speak and by just, I don't know, um, course accents right also just i think it's so interesting to see people out in the world because they all have this mask they're all Mm -hmm. you know playing this role everybody's acting all the time you know unless they're home uh taking a dump right (laughs) the rest of the time is just like acting yeah so i'm just so curious about like how people 
how people present themselves and how people quote unquote brand themselves right. or whatever it is, you know, and, and or like if they're flirting, they get yeah. really high and I can yeah. hear that in your singing sometimes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and, or men get really low. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like your voice isn't that low, buddy. Come on. Let's get, let's get back up. <laughs> you know. Did you ever do musical theater? I wish. No, never. That's, that's a great wish of mine is to do musical theater. And I think that's why I liked opera so much is because, yeah, the idea of singing and acting a character and like having a complete story is just so appealing to me. It comes so naturally Um, because, and it's also just, I mean, to my personal sensibility and soul, it's such a delicious thing to hear you sing um, that song, Stepsisters Lament from Cinderella. I know it from, I mean, I was in Cinderella a long time ago, and it's oh, just cool. a- anytime I hear a Broadway. But we just discovered that she never saw the Brandy Whitney version. No, I haven't. <laughs> so this needs to be corrected. <laughs> totally, yeah. I forgot that even happened. Um, but to hear any t- a Broadway song, because the American Songbook is one thing, and then and yeah. a lot of Broadway songs are included in that canon. Yeah. But a song that's really only in a show, yeah, um, is such a treat, and it just like made me giddy. <laughs> um, and it and that was the first song that I heard of yours. Oh wow! So that was my introduction, and I thought, wow, what is this woman about? And I and, and then you know exploring more, and I feel like you know you've pulled from musical theater from the American songbook from 1960s pop from 1920s pop from movies um so that there's just no well that you won't go diving into and I think clearly this is the beginning of a career but uh you know I'm sure with your love of history and your love of storytelling that there's just no limit to where you'll go in terms of your inspiration for songs and uh or is there well thank you or like I will never do this right I mean do you see something something that I would never I mean I would like is there anything that turns you off turns me off no I don't think I would ever but I'm saying this now but we'll see (laughs) but I don't think I would ever like sing a rap song or like a hip hop like I wouldn't do a hip hop like cover like a cover but would you sing on really? somebody else's maybe oh sure that'd be cool right <laughs> oh my gosh like i'm but thinking i really want you to actually Kendrick Lamar. there you go <laughs> it's like the secret you said it so yeah, now right? it'll happen <laughs> but i'm surprised to hear you said it because if it's if it's lyric based and you can interpret it however you i don't know you don't hear you don't see that happening, i just don't that fitting i don't see it fitting even though there 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 are some tracks i mean i love like mf doom uh-huh there's a album called Mad Villainy uh-huh. or Mad Villain. I don't remember what the album is called, but anyhow, there's and a track hilarious. called Great Day. Love it. But there's something, I feel like there's something about the flow in rap that like, it's just sad. I feel when rap is sung. <laughs> sure. Okay. Like I like to just hear it. Yeah. Rap. Mm-hmm. That makes so, sense. You know, yeah. like I just like to hear it. <laughs> Let's like, leave that alone. Leave yeah. it, leave it alone. <laughs> Maybe I'll rap it, but I I don't see myself singing it because I just feel like you're adding this artificial layer of like like why are we even adding a melody to this right now? There's no need for. I mean, I don't know. Yeah, but that's just that's just my thing. And also, I feel like rap is so personal to the MC. Like, sure. 
like it just feels weird to just cover somebody else's thing that they were like that they wrote and that they wrote so you'd have to do an original rap exactly okay then i could do that maybe (laughs) (laughs) but um other than that i i think i'm pretty open to source like different sources of of music i have a question for you okay who were you in the musical in the Cinderella. In Cinderella, yeah. I was uh, I was young, so I was just. Uh, oh, you were like a little, a little, little a dancer, little, a little dancer, <laughs> uh-huh. like on an actual stage. For on an actual, actual sh- stage, I mean, in community theater, but it was oh, that's excellent. Treat, yeah. that's very exciting. <laughs> oh yeah, I was. I loved musical theater, and that was my entrance into jazz. Was I mean, I, I, I went into jazz school, and I wanted to sing like Candor and Ebb and Sondheim, and oh, I yeah. was trying to interpret those yeah. without having the basis of. Um, being able to improvise and sort of be flexible with melody in the way that you sort of need to and flexible with rhythm. And yeah. so it was, it was a funny pairing, but I mean, although the, Sondheim requires the most flexibility, but it's of all. written. I mean, it's, you, you yeah. know, right. What's okay. there as opposed to trying inter- to interpret yeah, it in a it. certain way. Um, yeah, I didn't. Yeah. <laughs> um, can I throw us into one more? Well, before we swim out of this, which is, uh, about your your feminism, which is <laughs> odd to have to point it out because everyone should claim that word, but you are vocal about it, which is amazing. How do you work to infuse that in your art? How conscious are you of that in whatever it means to you? I think uh, I try to be as authentic and genuine in my music as I can be. And that's just an element of my personality. That's just how I am. Mm-hmm. That's just how I think. And so it's inevitably part of what I do. I don't shut it off. I don't um, hide it. And I'm not afraid of it, just like I'm not afraid of other things, other elements of, of who I am. So in a sense, it comes very naturally. But then I would say that there recently has been a little bit more of a deliberate effort to bring it out in my music. How so? Um, Just song choices. I mean, something like Wives and Lovers uh, was definitely coming from that standpoint. Something even like Stepsisters Lament in kind of a twisted way um, definitely has elements of that for me. and I would say I started really thinking about it because I had a friend, a French friend, who was like, "Oh, you should, just like, you should sing some feminist songs. You're, you're, you are a feminist, and there's not really a history. There's not really like a rich history of feminism in jazz. And even though it's, it is a music that has a lot of activism in it, it doesn't necessarily have a huge like feminist uh, voice. Um, so." especially probably because it is a mainly uh mainly a music played by men. So um so so that kind of I thought oh that's true like I haven't maybe been deliberate enough and so I started checking things out and that's how Wives and Lovers kind of came into the fold and uh is it coming out in your writing also? Um or your painting? <laughs> <laughs> It's hard to say. It's hard to say. I think it does inevitably, but again, it's just because it's it's a part of me. 
I mean, what is feminist art anyway? Unless you're talking about explicitly pro-women lyrics or something. Sometimes it's just to be your most authentic self is the most feminist thing you could do. Yeah, I think I think for me, feminism is is the freedom of choice of choosing your life and of and of deciding how you want to be as a person um, and not not necessarily being weighed down by the idea of like, oh, I'm a woman, so I have to do this. I have to go this way. So I think in that, you know, it's freedom. And I think in that, and of course, equality. Mm-hmm. But in that sense, um, in that sense, as a woman, I think this may be a bold statement, but I think as a woman, if you are making art, then that is already a feminist statement in yep. and of itself. For sure. Even if you are, I would even stretch it to say like, even if you are, maybe um, doing things that would not be considered feminist. The fact that the action, the intention of even just like creating art, I think is is a feminist act. Hell yeah, mm-hmm. I like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That felt good. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, well, I know you're in a busy moment of life, so we won't keep you here all day, but we could easily. Yeah. Um, have fun at the Grammys. Thank you so much. It's your second rodeo, second I guess. Second nomination. So do you have see. any special expectations this time? I'm going with my band. I'm going with my mom and my sister. Love and the. I think we're going to be tired, but because we're going to have been traveling and playing the night before. But um, my expectation for the Grammys is to have a great time, to get maybe a little drunk. Yeah, and hopefully to meet Kendrick Lamar. Awesome! Yes, please, Kendrick Lamar. I'm here (laughs) for you. I'm here. And hi, Kendrick. I'm here for you. I'm here. We need to make this happen. All right. (laughs) Thanks, Cecile. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. And with very little trouble, I could break her little arm. Oh, oh, why would the fellow want a girl like? A girl who's merely lovely Why can't a fella ever once prefer A girl who's merely me What's the matter with the man? What's the matter with the man? What's the matter with the man? Normally being a little extra can be a bit much But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra and United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80 percent less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up Quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. That's Quince.com slash upgrade. 